0: Welcome to the Legal Download Podcast, a rundown of the latest issues impacting your business from Kelly Dry. Hi, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm Joe Green with the Environmental Health and Safety Group of Kelly Dry and Warren. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about an issue of obvious current relevance, Uh, products that claim to disinfect or sanitize or otherwise fight germs, bacteria, and of course, viruses. Uh, we'll take a look at how they are regulated and what companies and even consumers or anyone who wants to use one of these products should look for if they are involved in the sale marketing or use of the product with the pandemic you know unsurprisingly we we have seen of course a surge in products claiming to be effective in killing the virus or in quote disinfecting or sanitizing surfaces that may be contaminated with the virus. You know, I should note by the way before I go further that I will be liberally using the term coronavirus when for the most part, I mean the SARS-CoV-2, the the strain of coronavirus that's associated with COVID-19. So with that in mind, um, you know, for starters, when we look at these products, one problem we face immediately is a practical one Right. because this is a novel strain of the virus, you know, understandably, it, there are few, if any products out there, probably none, for which actual specific test data have been generated to d- demonstrate that they are effective against that specific strain of the virus. Uh, we'll get into why that's important in a minute, but, you know, obviously with a new virus, you know, which uh, in EPA speak, we talk about emerging pathogens, um, the virus is not available, at least readily or widespread, for testing. You know, plus, even when, those are, when the samples may be available, it does take time to perform tests at the level of quality that we typically would require, either EPA or in the advertising, FTC realm, or FDA in some cases, uh, that we would typically require to justify those claims. So that's a practical problem. Now, there have been some solutions to that. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But you know, before we go further, let's just review the regulatory landscape. First, uh, disinfectants and sanitizers, and those are terms of art, but they largely fall under the regulatory authority of EPA, FDA, or in some cases, both agencies. But for purposes of today and the coronavirus issue, we're primarily going to look at the products that EPA covers. You know, keep in mind, and these are important products these days, but keep in mind that hand sanitizers and similar products that are used on or, or in the human body are regulated, they're FDA regulated as, as drugs. Um, these products have different labeling and approval requirements than the surface disinfectants and other products used to kill viruses and germs in the environment or on, you know, in your home or, in, you know, in a building or wherever. So when we're talking about EPA, again, we're not talking about things that act on the the germs of the virus on your body. That's an FDA issue. Those are, are separate sets of products. But for EPA, what they do, their regulatory authority comes under the artfully named Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, FIFRA. So, and FIFRA regulates as, quote unquote, pesticides. All products that claim to kill, inhibit, prevent, or otherwise mitigate, very broadly defined, any pest. That's another term that is broadly defined. And that includes not just what you think of as pests, you know, whether it's uh, an insect in in an agricultural setting or a mosquito or a mouse, but it also includes viruses and bacteria and fungi and other germs generally and, and other microbes, um, so any products that are out there making a claim against coronavirus other than remember you know hand sanitizers again which are FDA, any of those products must meet certain EPA requirements and the chief EPA requirement is that such products must be registered with EPA. Now this is the this is the big bugaboo here because registration is a data intensive and realistically costly and time-consuming process. You know, uh, for example, I think the typical EPA review period, and this is for a fairly straightforward registration application, is usually a minimum of six to nine, six to nine months. And that's after the weeks it actually takes to get the application uh, ready for submission, um, and let alone testing. And that. That time period is often, you know, even significantly longer. That EPA review period is significantly longer, depending on the chemicals in the formulation. You know, it could be a new chemical, um, a new use of an existing chemical. There's all sorts of permutations. But your basic and your most straightforward time frame, we're talking at least six to nine months, and it can take longer. And even after that time period, EPA may continue to have questions that extend the period, practically speaking, beyond that. So that's one important consideration. And then also the registration fees that are paid to EPA, you know, this is separate from, you know, any legal or consulting or testing costs, but those fees are, they vary widely and they can range from several thousand dollars for a very simple application to into the six figures, well into six figures. uh, If the product involves a new chemical, not previously reviewed by EPA, and it has to do a lot more, Uh, review and uh, analysis by the agency. Uh, The other important thing with registration is that it is company and product specific. This is often misunderstood. Uh, Just because one company has a product registered with EPA does not mean that a second company does not need its own registration, even if the formula and the process for making that product is exactly the same. Now, there are ways to you know, expedite or have a relatively quick review of such, you know, quote, you know, substantially similar products. But again, each company and each product that that company has, that has pesticidal claim, um, must have its own registration or be covered by a registration. Uh, Now, as part of registration, in in addition to providing uh, lots of details to EPA on the chemical formula and the production process for all the ingredients and the product as a whole, You know, at at its heart, uh, and, you know, most um, intensively, uh, the registration process entails EPA review to determine that the product is safe to use and that it works as claimed, so efficacy. Uh, This means that EPA must specifically approve all efficacy-related claims, you know, based on data submitted to the agency using high-quality test protocols. So if you want to make a claim of efficacy against, let's say, Staph aureus or E. coli or influenza, you need to provide high quality, like gold standard data to EPA uh, based on good laboratory practices um, that shows the product kills over typically over 99.9% of those organisms in a relatively short period of time. there are standards for the type of data that need to be submitted you know, in order to claim that a product is quote unquote antiviral or antibacterial or is a disinfectant or a sanitizer. There are specific um, definitional requirements that the data must meet. So the same goes for any coronavirus claims. You know, all of which then again raises the dilemma I was referring to earlier that an emerging pathogen that we have not seen before how do you make such claims so in response to this dilemma especially this was several years ago remember when SARS and MERS and were popping up on the world stage and there was renewed fear about this um, you know pathogens that were you know novel pathogens coming on the scene that we didn't have products to combat now, epa came up with the emerging pathogens policy that lays out uh, you know criteria and a process for companies to make claims about whatever the new pathogen is, even though data specific to that pathogen are not available. You know, in short, the policy says that if you have data on file with EPA that shows the product is effective against a virus that's deemed either harder to kill, um, there is a whole uh, tiers of uh, pathogens and, and which types of pathogens viruses are Uh, harder to kill versus easier to kill. Um, So if it's effective against a virus that's deemed harder to kill, or if you have data that it's uh, effective against a similar strain of the virus, so such as SARS, you know, SARS is a variant of the current, you know, coronavirus that we're dealing with. Um, If you have, you know, that type of data, then after notice to the agency claims will be allowed to be made against the new virus, at least during that temporary state of emergency, even though you don't have data specific to that exact strain of the virus. You know, fortunately, you know, it turns out that the coronavirus is among the easiest to kill. Uh, don't ask me to explain why that is exactly, but it, it has a, the, the, the structure of the virus itself uh, is among the easiest to kill so that if a product is effective against other viruses, there is a good chance it will work against coronavirus. Um, But that is, you know, something that's spelled out in the agency policy. Now, ideally, under the policy, a forward-looking company would already have such data on file with the agency, uh, have previously submitted it, perhaps as as part of an original registration application uh, where it was making claims for other other, um, microbes, Uh, and have pre-approved label language that can be used when a new pathogen emerges. So it's, you know, once EPA declares that state of emergency, or I guess the CDC declares the state of emergency, EPA acknowledges that, and the policy is is invoked, then that company can automatically switch to using those claims. You know, if you don't have that already on file, the policy does provide a process to obtain obtain such an approval and that amendment to your uh, registration on a relatively expedited basis. Though of course you still need to have at least some good antiviral data uh, on hand or developed um, and often you may need to have an an existing registration uh, with the agency that you can amend promptly. Um, So for the current pandemic to help the public and the regulated community, EPA maintains a list on its website uh, and it's pretty helpful, of products that are temporarily approved to make coronavirus virus pl- claims under this policy. It's a so-called list N. Um, it's not entirely current or complete, but agency has been doing a very diligent job in updating it. Uh, and it is a good resource for companies to identify products they may want to use to either disinfect their premises or check to see if a product that you're selling that's in your store is in fact approved to make claims. Um, and it's a good resource for consumers as well. Um, if you have a properly registered pesticide, the other things to look for are uh, the label will have um, a, a, an ingredient um, component to it. It'll list the ingredients, the active and other ingredients and their percentages. Uh, it'll have an EPA registration number, an EPA establishment number, and establishment is where was the number of the facility in which the product was produced. Um, And then it'll have things like directions for use, storage and disposal information, and appropriate caution or warning statements. Now, it's important to note here that there is a large population of antimicrobial products that are not required to be registered. Now, these are products that are treated with or incorporate an antimicrobial additive and are allowed to make limited antimicrobial claims, And they have to be limited that the the claim to be, that it's the protection of the product itself, and that the product is treated to protect the product from bacteria and germs that cause odors, stains, or other types of degradation of the product. These, you know, so-called treated articles cannot make public health claims, uh, either explicitly or implicitly. You know, any claim that states or implies protection of the user, um, again, pathogen, Uh, Or against you know any claim that specifically refers to a pathogen that poses a risk to public health, such as you know E. coli or athlete's foot fungus or influenza, you know, or any virus. Those are considered public health claims. So uh, you know these are very prevalent products in the marketplace. These treated articles, you know, due to the time and cost it takes to obtain a public health registration, which um, you know requires you know the efficacy data and toxicity data and that lengthy review you know, many companies opt to take this more limited route because um, it's a a quicker way. You can basically purchase and utilize a registered additive and incorporate it into your product, whether it's, you know, shoes, a garden hose, a carpet, whatever it might be, and make those limited antimicrobial claims that it's protecting that product, again, from staining or odors, um, and that you're not protecting the user. So you, you need to be very careful. This is a, a, a major focus of EPA enforcement activity over the years. Um, and, and and as far as coronavirus is concerned, these types of products cannot and should not be making any claims. Now, devices are another category of pesticide products that do not require registration. So devices are, are instruments or machines that use mechanical or physical means to kill or repel or otherwise mitigate a pest. And this includes things like ultraviolet lights and ozone generators. Um, and and you know, Because these devices are not registered, they will not appear on EPA's List N. Now, unlike treated articles, you know, the device, uh, d- it doesn't necessarily mean the lack of registration that they are ineffective against you know, particular pests, including potentially viruses or bacteria. But it does mean that EPA will not have reviewed or approved any of those claims. Um, And even though they don't need to be registered, uh, and therefore they won't have an EPA registration number, devices must be labeled in a manner that is not false or or misleading, and that means that you have to still have data on hand in your files and good data that's sufficient to support the claim. So this would be similar to claim substantiation in an FTC context, Um, but keep in mind also that EPA can request to see that data. So as far as devices are concerned, in theory a device can be effective against and make claims related to coronavirus, but the company must have data supporting uh, that claim and backing it up and you have to exercise a little bit of caution if you are a consumer looking to purchase one of these you might want to do a little digging and see what type of information they in fact do have to back up that claim. Let's talk a little bit about EPA enforcement. Um, As you can imagine, uh, EPA enforcement right now is highly active and laser focused on coronavirus issues. know, there have been several high profile actions taken against the sale and primarily for imported unregistered products. A lot of these come from, uh, came through Hong Kong, from China or Vietnam and elsewhere in Asia that have antiviral claims. Uh, The one particular product which pops up regularly is one called virus shutout. Uh, There's similar ones out there. Um, These are not registered. uh, And in fact, the federal government has also taken some criminal actions at least against one individual importing these products uh, and selling illegal antivirals. Um, And notably, and and a lot of this activity is focused online, online sales, Um, the agency has looked closely at some online marketing platforms, things like Amazon and eBay uh, in this space, and they have established um, relationships with these companies uh, to try and weed out illegal pesticide sales. So be cautious there, I'd be very cautious of purchasing um, any of these viral products off of these um, platforms without taking a, a look at some of these you know, things a little more closely. Um, I should note that you know EPA enforcement in this area was even active before the pandemic, but has increased dramatically over the last few months, of course. Now, if you are a consumer and you are looking at purchasing one of these products, uh, a couple steps you should consider, uh, one, um, is, is it registered with EPA, first of all, right? Does it have a registration number? It'll be in little print, you'll see EPA REGNO, regis, EPA registration number, and they'll usually be about a five digit code, a dash, and then uh, another set of usually four, four numbers, and there might even be a, set, a third set of numbers, but it'll have EPA registration number. There'll also be an EPA establishment number, EST number. Also, it'll be right next to the registration number usually. Um, that identifies the facility at which the product was produced. So that's one first thing to look for. Remember, of course, that hand sanitizers will not have this, nor will devices. Devices will have an establishment number, however. Uh, Look, if you're a consumer, go online at EPA's List N. That's got several hundred products that uh, are, you know, at least temporarily approved for coronavirus claims. Again, not complete, and it doesn't include devices, but it, it is um, a good resource. You know, uh, again, the hand sanitizers are not EPA regulated, but FDA regulated. Um, So that's a different ball of wax. Um, So it won't have an EPA registration number. That doesn't mean it's not effective. Um, If you're also, you want to look a little deeper, take a look at the label claims that are made and see if it's effective against similar or harder to kill viruses. You know, if it's, if it can, if it's claiming effectiveness against SARS or MERS or, probably influenza um it very possibly can be uh effective against coronavirus as well Uh, be careful with products that do not have an epa registration number if it's if you see one that doesn't have an epa registration number and it's sold over the internet uh i would pass Um, you know illegal or ineffective pesticides they they pose an obvious safety risk it's not only from the chemicals in the product but from the false sense of security they may provide. Which, you know, leads me to uh, some further steps to keep in mind if you are a company and you wanna use disinfectants to sanitize your premises and you may wanna talk about that to your customers. You know, you wanna keep some things in mind. The things I just talked about in terms of the products that are available. But, you know, keep in mind some pesticides must be applied by a professional applicator but most of these consumer pesticides can be used at your facility, but you should follow the directions for use in terms of contact time, dose. You know, a lot of them would say, you know, things like, you know, keep wet on the surface for X period of time and then wipe clean. You don't want to just spray it on and wipe it right off because sometimes they have a residence time. They need, you know, a minute, two, 10 minutes, whatever it might be. You know, uh, also for reliability reasons, as a company, you know, be careful what you say to your customers, uh, even the best disinfectants can't and, you know, won't guarantee protection against infections. You cannot actually claim that you're going to prevent an infection. Um, that's, that gets into medical uh, device and drug issues. Um, and, and just practically speaking, uh, it, you know, you can, even the best sanitizers that might kill or 99.9% of a bacteria or viruses, you know, they might not get them all and you can get infected. Um, so you can't guarantee safety, but you can take steps to minimize the risk significantly. Um, and again, look, for, look at list end for some guidance. You know, if you're selling a product online or otherwise, again, you, uh, if you're a retailer too, you can uh, get caught into, you're part of that chain of distribution and sale, um, even if it's manufactured by somebody else you want to take steps to look at these same issues. Is it registered? Do they have, um, you know, to get that EPA registration number, make sure they're making, you know, ask them to make sure that their claims, the manufacturer that they're making claims that are consistent with that registration. Because even if you have a registration, it doesn't mean you can say everything. The language that you use in all your marketing claims has to be consistent with the registration that EPA has approved for that product. So that's really a, the quick overview of the landscape. I hope you found it helpful. You know, I'm happy to answer any questions or provide any additional information uh, you may want. If you can, you can contact me. I see my uh, go see my Kelly Greenlaw blog. That's K E L L E Y Greenlaw, one word blog uh, for regular updates on these and other topics. And thank you very much. And stay safe. For additional information on this and other topics. Please visit KellyDry.com. Kelly Dry has podcasts available through your podcast provider.